you know that Kirui High School, Year 8, Personal Development, Health and Physical Education, the students were shown a questionnaire asking, when and how did you first decide you were heterosexual? 13-year-old girls and boys. It's creepy stuff. Or to whom have you disclosed your heterosexual tendencies? Do you know about this? Yeah, I did say that, Alan, and I think that's really, you know, disappointing. That shouldn't be in a classroom. I what have you done? Bored, what have you done? Uh, when that was brought to my... Yeah, so that, that, that obviously that material has been removed from that classroom. We've got very strong rules around... Did you speak? Uh, you know, did someone speak to that to school? Curriculum. None of that's in the curriculum. Did so, I know that. I know that. Yeah, so that. The Safe mm. Schools Program, Minister, has been abolished in New South Wales. Why would Oberon High right. be distributing Safe Schools Program guides and other gender fluidity material to staff? Why would they? Well, well they shouldn't be doing it. It's clearly in breach I know of that. You're right. There I know no that. But what are you doing Wales? about it? Yeah. What are you doing about mm. it? Well, obviously, I'll. Yeah, so obviously, Alan, we've got very clear guidelines to schools. Uh, you know, that sort of behaviour is not acceptable. Those sort of information shouldn't be going out to our students. I agree with you. It's not good enough. Uh, why and don't you pick up the phone? Sure that there are ramifications for that. Why don't you pick up the phone and talk to the principal of Oberon High tomorrow? Yeah, I mean, as I said, obviously, we need to stop schools who are doing the wrong thing and, and but you're not. and using material that's not This is happening on your acceptable. watch. Not, it's not acceptable. But it's not. I know it's not. Well, I think, Alan, you know... I mean, is it appropriate Sorry. that Wallachia Public School had a wear it purple day and the school and your Department of Education labelled infants and primary students in photographs as young rainbow people, five-year-olds? Well, I think with that example, Alan, I mean, obviously schools, you know, have certain days reflecting their local communities. I'm not aware of any complaints from parents about that particular one. And I think some of those families uh, do identify in that way. Welcome to The Lyle Shelton Show. A lot to get through today, but I want to start off with some comments on what you've just seen and heard. For my podcast listeners, that was part of a train wreck interview by Sky News host Alan Jones with the New South Wales Education Minister, Sarah Mitchell. It was conducted earlier this week. You heard it. The so-called Safe Schools program is supposed to have been abolished but New South Wales schools are awash with rainbow gender fluid materials and programs. This thing, like a multi-headed hydra, uh, just chop, you chop it off and it grows again. Sarah Mitchell clearly has no control over what is happening on her watch, but more seriously, it seems like her heart is not in it. The tell in this interview was at the end of this clip where instead of saying the so-called wear it purple day at Wallachia Public School was inappropriate and should not have gone ahead, she defended it. Now, children should not be co-opted to be rainbow allies for harmful gender fluid ideology. This is a nationals minister supporting gender fluidity and same-sex indoctrination of five-year-olds. So what if some of the families at the school identify in this way? The rest of the school community should not be forced to celebrate a radical LGBTIQA plus worldview under the threat of being labelled bigots if they disagree. This is the same New South Wales National Party which helped facilitate the 2019 abortion to birth laws. How is all this happening under a coalition government? Well, speaking of toddlers and indoctrinating them, you'll find this next children's video shocking for its insidiousness. Children as young as two 
are now being inducted into the sexualized, gender-confused world of lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender and queer culture. If our society cared about children, alarm bells would be loudly clanging. But we don't, and the popular Blues Clues animation features an LGBTIQ drag queen indoctrinating children into homosexual and transgender concepts, singing about a pride parade complete with transgender, lesbian, non-binary and homosexual role models, the drag queen guides toddlers to the radical sexual libertarianism of the Mardi Gras. Take a look. Hey Blue, look at all these families. Hi families, it's time for a pride parade. Families marching one by one, hurrah, hurrah. Families marching one by one, hurrah, hurrah. This family has two mommies, they love each other so proudly and they all go marching in the big parade. Families marching two by two, hurrah, hurrah. Families marching two by two, hurrah, hurrah. This family has two daddies, they love each other so proudly, and they all go marching in the big parade. Come on, friend! Now, sure, all the kids see a colorful animations of friendly animals waving rainbow flags, but their drag queen hero is guiding our children through the apparently wonderful world of lesbian crocodile mummies, homosexual bear daddies, non-binary dolphins and transgender beavers. The kids are taught that these are normal family configurations. They are not. It is not normal or ethical for two men to deny a child the love of their mother. Two women don't have the right to rob a child of her or his father. And why are two-year-olds taught by transgender beavers that they might have been born in the wrong body? This latest video from Blue's Clues steers children towards rainbow medicalized gender treatment, which can leave them permanently scarred and infertile. No mother in your life? No problem. Just wave a rainbow flag at the pride parade because love is love. But the catchy tune, colorful animals, rainbow flags, and friendly loving drag queen make it all seem so much fun until it's not. Somehow we have to harness creative tools to fight back with the truth, uh, the beauty and the goodness of the natural family. The one where the fruit of a mother and father's love is children who grow up secure, flourishing and loving their bodies because of the gender diversity and the complementarity that only the natural family provides. Currently, creative energy is being cleverly harnessed to fill impressionable young minds with lies. Now just when you thought today's show couldn't get any more shocking, brace yourself for this. The United Nations thinks pornography is fine for children and that blocking it would infringe the human rights. I kid you not. The shocking claims were made in a report published by the UN Children's Fund, UNICEF, uh, and exposed on the 13th of May last month by the Center for Family and Human Rights, CFAM, which is a pro-family lobby group at the United Nations. Shortly afterwards, the report entitled Digital Age Assurance Tools and Children's Rights Online was taken down from UNICEF's website. Surprise, surprise. According to CFAM, it reported a few days later, sorry, it reappeared a few days later with the controversial bits about children's access to porn scrubbed. 
However, this was not before CFAM discovered that the UN was arguing against age verification mechanisms to protect children from accessing harmful content online because that would deny children access to vital sexuality education. We must never forget that the so-called Safe Schools LGBTIQA plus gender fluid program was first promoted globally by the UN under the guise of comprehensive sexuality education. CFAM reported the following, and uh, take, a look, take a listen to this carefully. I'll quote from their report. The UNICEF report even claims that not all sexually explicit content qualifies as pornography. The report proposes a graded scale to help classify what pornography would be suitable for children of different age groups to view. The UNICEF report proposes that differences in individual children's level of maturity and evolving capacities would come into play when creating an age rating system for regulating child access to sexually explicit content. Child access to sexually explicit content, there's something wrong there. The purpose of the graded scale, according to the report, is ostensibly to prevent infringement of a child's right to access beneficial sexually explicit materials such as sexual and reproductive health information, including resources for LGBTQ education. Now there's a tell right there. Kids, according to the UN, need to access pornography for LGBTQ education. Indoctrination might be a better word. Again, remember that the leaders of the same-sex marriage campaign said LGBTIQA plus indoctrination of children would not be a consequence. They lied. You can see that the UN's worldview, bowing to the LGBTIQA plus political lobby, is one of children's rights trumping their parents' wishes when it comes to accessing porn online. The UN is a desperately sick organisation and Australia should cut back its funding and demand it stops pushing harmful radical agendas. The Christian Democratic Party under the Reverend the Honourable Fred Nile MLC was one of Australia's earliest campaigners for the dignity of women and the protection of children. We will continue to use our voice in the New South Wales Parliament to fight the porn trade and its allies at the UN and elsewhere. These are the people who seek to draw our children into the porn trade's evil web. Well, with activists pressuring New South Wales Premier Gladys Berejiklian to break her reported promise not to have a euthanasia debate in this term of Parliament, it is worth taking a deeper look at this issue. One person who has been doing that is the Sydney-based Liberal Federal MP Julian Lisa. This week he appeared on The Bolt Report with Andrew Bolt, reiterating things he said in a speech to the Parliament back on the 18th of March. It was a thoughtful contribution and it's worth reading his speech in full because the mainstream media, who seem all in for assisted suicide, simply don't report this stuff. Now, I've posted a link to Julian's speech on my website, lyleshelton.com.au. But first, some background. Victoria became the first state to legalise euthanasia in 2017, with the law coming to, into effect in 2019. Since then, people have been dying in much greater numbers than expected and other state dominoes have been falling. Western Australia, South Australia, Tasmania, and now Queensland is debating euthanasia. Pressure is even mounting on the federal parliament to overturn the 1997 Andrews Bill, which outlawed the world's first euthanasia laws 
in the Northern Territory, and by extension, the Australian Capital Territory's ability to legislate on the issue. Now, this was after the ironically named Rights of the Terminally Ill Act saw people who were not terminally ill and were not in pain euthanized. I write about this in my book, I kid you not, notes from 20 years in the trenches of the culture wars, where I detail euthanasia advocate Dr. Philip Nitsky's brazen admission that he broke the law in at least one case of him killing a patient. For the 10 years leading up to Victoria's capitulation in 2017, the Greens, often supported by Labor MPs, shopped dozens of euthanasia bills all around Australia's state and territory parliaments. Each time these bills were defeated, often after an in-depth parliamentary inquiry where politicians could not be convinced that euthanasia could be made safe and that it was a better alternative to proper palliative care. If ever there was an example of the success of legislation by fatigue, it is euthanasia law reform. Sadly, the dam is burst and the radical left and the libertarian right have Berejiklian in their sights, believing her, her government, which is dominated by so-called moderates, to be right for the picking. This is why Julian Lisa's intervention in the debate is so important and should make people think twice. Take a listen to his exchange with Andrew Bolt this week. Tell us how many people are dying under the euthanasia laws in the states where it is legal. Well, thanks for having me, Andrew. In Victoria, where the law has come into effect, uh, in the first year, the, the Victorian government said there'd only be 12 people who might die by euthanasia. Instead, there were over 272 applications and 124 people died. The youngest was 36. I don't think any of us think about these laws and think that they apply to a 36-year-old. In the last six months of last year, uh, 94 people died by euthanasia. So the first 12 months, 124, and almost that same number in the last six months alone of last year. Uh, these are shocking numbers, and I don't think that they're getting enough attention. Wow. Look, I have to say those numbers have absolutely floored me, Julian. Now, can I, first, can I tell you why I first started to worry about euthanasia? Now, it was when the Northern Territory briefly allowed euthanasia. Seven people applied to be killed. But a study in the Lancet Journal, co-authored by Philip Nitschke, the euthanasia advocate, found none actually had severe pain. Only two of them were married. Many were clearly very lonely. One, Martha Alfonso Bowes, did kill herself after telling the media, I heard her, she was terminally ill and there was no hope for her. But then her doctor, this same Philip Nitschke, later admitted her prognosis was actually good. And we also know that she had actually become estranged from her children and that really distressed her. That made me start to really look at Philip Nitschke. What did you make of that experiment back then? Look, I think uh, it was the wrong thing to do. I don't think euthanasia laws have a place on any of our statute books in any parliament in the country. And that is fundamentally because one of the things that uh, Western liberal societies are based on is the Judeo-Christian ethic, which says that each individual life matters, that we all have human dignity and that we shouldn't be taking people's lives. And we see that in so many of the policies that we have whether it's the efforts of governments of all stripes at all levels to keep people safe from COVID, 
uh, whether it is the money that we put into uh, medical research, whether it's the $10 billion or more that we spend on suicide prevention, whether it is money that we put into preventing the road toll, the fundamental value of our society and what makes it different to a communist society or a totalitarian society is that we value individual lives. And so euthanasia laws just turn that on their head. Death ultimately is final, so there's no going back. And one of the problems with the, with the Northern Territory laws that you talk about is the woman who was the centre of the campaign, um, she was sort of the poster child, she was on all the advertisements saying, please let me die. Well, she actually lived and got better and became an opponent of these laws. If you take someone's life, they, they have no chance to recover, they have no chance to get better. There are no adequate safeguards in my view. Now, you simply never hear this stuff in what passes for debate in the mainstream media. Advocates for euthanasia keep ridiculing the idea of a slippery slope, but, but here you can see they keep applying the grease. The, Queen, the Queensland law proposes opening euthanasia up to people who are not in physical pain or who are not terminally ill, but are mentally distressed. Think about that. When I blogged about this the other week, a prominent euthanasia advocate rang me up and asked me to take the post down. I'll do that when they remove the proposal to euthanize the mentally ill people from the Queensland law. Bolt and Lisa also discussed the woeful funding of palliative care, where proper end-of-life care, uh, health care, is almost uh, non-existent. No one should have to suffer an undignified and painful death where there's proper palliative care. Now, we're going to have a fight on our hand to convince Berejiklian to keep her promise. The radical leftist activist MP Alex Greenwich is preparing a euthanasia bill, which many expect to be rolled out later this year. Um, Greenwich, of course, was one of the leaders of the same-sex marriage campaign, uh, where they lied about the consequences, and they're doing a similar thing about the consequences of euthanasia. The Christian Democratic Party will play its part from the inside of Parliament, We'll need your help in raising your voice from the outside. Stay tuned for this important debate. Well, is Joe Biden the most anti-life president in US history? It seems so. He has again set aside his supposed Catholic ethics, this time to allow taxpayer funding for abortion in the US. The president this week dropped the Hyde Amendment, which for decades has banned the use of government money to kill unborn children. The Hyde Amendment was first passed in 1976 and has enjoyed bipartisan support uh, by both Republicans and Democrats. Here in Australia, our compulsory Medicare levy has meant that even those of us who object to the killing of unborn babies are forced to pay for it. Biden is bringing America into line with Australia, sadly. The CDP opposes abortion because it takes the life of an unborn child and causes harm to the child's mother. New South Wales recently legalised abortion all the way to birth, even when there is a healthy mother and a healthy baby. The Reverend Honourable Fred Nile has introduced a bill to repeal this legislation, but sadly abortion to birth is supported by Labor, Liberal, Nationals and the Greens. Now Joe Biden uh, has cemented himself as the most anti-life president in America's history. I wonder if Pope Francis is regret regretting his tacit endorsement of Biden. Although forcing taxpayers to pay for abortion was a campaign promise, so the Pope should not have been surprised. Well, that's it for The Lyle Shelton Show for this week. 
Don't forget you can order my book, I kid you not, notes from 20 years in the trenches of the culture wars from lylesheltoncomau Plenty of other great material available there as well. It is so important that we understand how the radical left uses politics to undermine the Australian way of life. My book is a behind the scenes look at how they get away with it. Now, if you'd like to join the Christian Democratic Party, please go to cdp.org.au and click on join. We need people who will get in the arena with us. Don't forget to share this content, help spread the word so more of our fellow Australians can understand what is really going on. Well, thanks again for your company. Until next week, God bless. The Lyle Shelton Show is a production of The Good Source, hosted by Lyle Shelton. To watch, listen to, or read more content without the SJW PC fact filter, visit goodsource.news, good, S-A-U-C-E dot news. Become a Good Source supporter for exclusive access to live and unedited interview recordings, including the conversations before and after the show.